Good morning, church. My husband, Daniel, is actually in Alabama this week speaking at a partner church. And so that means instead of leading worship today, I get to preach. I'm pumped. I'm going to close out this series that we've been walking through for the last three weeks called Love, Sex, and Dating. And today, I'm going to be talking about patience and persistence. And so while today might be focused for those of you who are still single and waiting for that special someone, you do not have to be single in order to find some truth and get something out of this sermon. Because every point in our life, there is some time in our life that we are in a season of waiting. So maybe you've been looking for that special someone, or maybe you've been waiting on something else completely. But God has lined out a plan for us on how we should live in our seasons of waiting. So Daniel and I, we have this dog named Zelda. She's a 10-year-old Weimaraner, and Daniel and her love to cuddle, just like this picture. It makes me jealous, you guys. So she's 10. She's quite an old lady, but there are still some things in her life that she has absolutely zero patience for, and one of those things is food. Like the girl comes up in front of us, and she starts spinning in circles to tell us that she's hungry. And when we don't feed her on time, she knows how to break into the pantry and feed herself. Like, she knows how to open every single door in our house. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a lever or a knob or if it's locked. I've seen her unlock doors, you guys. We had to child lock every single door in our house. It's crazy. She is a sneaky food thief, and the girl loves to eat. She's super impatient when she's hungry. Can anybody relate to that? She also has absolutely zero patience when she's ready to go outside. Like maybe she's had a long day, she's been cooped up, she's ready to get outside, or maybe she's just got to go, but she has zero patience. Have you ever noticed that when someone around you, especially a loved one, um, if they're impatient about something, it's really easy to get sucked into that impatience with them. Like maybe into the situation that they're being impatient about, or you're just getting impatient at them, but you can get sucked into it really easy. So I'm telling you guys, my dog sucks me into this impatience vortex every single time she wants to go outside. And one time, Daniel caught it on video camera, and so we have it on the screen for your enjoyment. So she's excited. She's ready to go outside. I'm excited to let her. But she's so impatient, she won't just sit down. I can't put her leash on. Sit down. And then she doesn't understand. Why are we not just going outside? What are you doing? Let's go. I gotta put your leash on. And then she talks back to me. Like, man, yes, disrespectful. That's right. (laughs) Being impatient gets us nowhere. Actually, most of the time, it slows us down from being able to move forward. See, Zelda's impatience and her spinning just makes it harder for me to put on her leash. And then I get impatient, and my impatience slows me down from being able to put her leash on. There is a better way to achieve our goals than to constantly live in impatience. Now, there's a verse in Philippians 4, 6. It's really popular. And it says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's a short verse, but it has a really powerful application if we look at it closely. So first it says, replace our impatience with anxiety and and anxiety with prayer. Don't replace your patience with anxiety. Replace your impatience 
with prayer. We need to ask God for it. If God is our main source and provider, then why would prayer be our last resort? We need to ask him for it. There's a difference in praying and inviting our creator into the conversation versus dreaming about it with our friends. See, dreaming about it with our friends and our hopes and dreams, that's, that's not praying. That's just talking to friends. Dreaming about it, friends, isn't praying, but praying is inviting the God who created you, who loves you, who gives grace and peace and wants to be a part of your life and have a relationship with you. He wants to be involved in that conversation. If God went to the extent of sending us Jesus just to be able to have a relationship with us, then he cares about your hopes and dreams. I think God wants to have a voice in the conversation. We need to talk it over with God. Secondly, this verse says, replace impatience and anxiety with petition. Other translations might say supplication. It basically means put effort into it. It's not just saying, hey, God, it would be really great if. No, it's, it's recruiting others to pray with you. It's putting action into your words and showing God where your heart is. And this verse wraps up and it says, replace your impatience and anxiety with thanksgiving. Be thankful no matter what. Because if we don't really deserve it in the first place, right? It's all a blessing. It's all a gift from God. So we replace our impatience and anxiety with patience. Then we petition through prayer. There's our persistence. Remember, today we're talking about patience and persistence. And no matter what happens, even if we don't get our way, we are thankful. And it's this cycle that we need to continually live throughout our lives. Patience through prayer, persistence through petition, thankful no matter what. Then we started over. Patience through prayer, persistence through petition, thankful no matter what. That's the cycle we should be living out every single day of our lives, especially if we're in a season of waiting. I have a best friend named Amy. She lives in Nashville. And I get to see her maybe once every two years. And we know it's a great friendship because distance doesn't even matter. We just pick it up right where we left off. And we've been besties for like 20 years now, almost. And we were roommates in college. And Amy watched me get married at the age of 21. And then she went into her season of waiting. She watched all of her college friends get married. Even her younger sister got married. But Amy didn't give up just because of that. See, when she got into her 30s, she found a younger roommate than her who was still in the dating scene. And they went, and, and they're living together, and then they decided they were going to start online dating. Anybody want to claim that one? <laughs> and they started this buddy system that I actually got to witness firsthand when I went with her to visit in Nashville. I loved it. So basically, they're online dating, and when it was time to actually meet the person face-to-face, um, they would go to the, the coffee house together, and the roommate would be sitting like four tables down, just, just there as a security blanket. And so when I was visiting her in Nashville one year, um, she was like, hey, I know you're in town, but I had already set up this date. Is it okay if I just go ahead and go on it? And I'm like, sure, I'll be your security blanket. So um, I was just like three tables over with her roommate. And they were like, look at her. She's so cute in her little dress. And, <laughs> and we were just there as a support system. And I love that I get to experience this part of her life. And it, there were seasons where she had boyfriends and seasons where she didn't. And seasons where she would call me crying because it didn't work out. But, you know, I was always amazed that she was continually thankful in this season of her life. And she had this own cycle in her life, patience and prayer, persistence. She's not giving up and being thankful no matter what. And she just repeated. Eventually, 
she found her guy. His name is Stephen. They met at church. Come on, somebody. They were serving in the kids' department together, and they were scheduled to, the, to be in the same classroom serving together one day, and he looked at her, and he was like, I like the way you talk to kids. That's the way you, learn. you lay down a line, you guys. That's the way you get the girl. Some of you need to go out to Next Steps today and join kids' team, I'm telling you. They've been married for three and a half years now, and she would say that it was not an easy road to be single and to be waiting She had to work at it. She had to wait for it. But God blessed her through her patience and her persistence. There's a verse in the Old Testament in Habakkuk 2.2. And it says this, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Turn to your neighbor and say, wait for it. Woman of God, wait for your man of God. See, as Christian women, we used to look for a man who would read his scripture and Bible daily. And now if we just see a dude who has John 3, 16 tattooed on his arm, we're like, that's it. That's my guy. Let's get married. I'm ready. Waiting is working. Waiting is our job. Some of us have lost that vision. We didn't carve it in stone, and now we're trading it in for something less than what God has for us because of our impatience. So you can think that you deserve what you're waiting for right now, but God is trying to mold you and make you into something bigger than your stubbornness. See, most of us have already mastered stubbornness. Waiting is working, and when you're patient and persistent, waiting works. See, we talked about prayer we need to pray for that vision. I think at many times we think if we just pray for it, it's going to fall out of the sky right into our lap. When Daniel and I were just getting to know each other, not even dating yet, he sent me my first text message. Not like my first text message from him, my first text message ever. How many of y'all remember that first text message you ever got? Like we all had cell phones that looked like this one. Like this Nokia brick phone. <laughs> and it had those face plates that you could change colors. I had the orange one. And, and you have your Nokia brick phone, and you're looking at, like, what are these words that are on my screen? I didn't even know this was possible. And then you become addicted to it, kind of like when you first discovered Pinterest. And then your first cell phone bill comes in, and you realize it was 25 cents a text message, you guys. All the teenagers in the room are like, how old are you? <laughs> So Daniel sent me my very first text message ever. I was afraid I was going to lose it, so I scrapbooked it. I'm not kidding. I, like, wrote that thing out. I still have the scrapbook. One of my favorite things about being married to Daniel is that he teaches me stuff. So I'm not technologically illiterate, if that's a phrase, but he did just recently teach me how to plug in an HDMI cable. So marriage is all about helping each other become better. He also just recently showed me how to do this thing on my iPhone that I never knew was possible. Now, I'm an iPhone user through and through. You will never sell me on something different because I've been an iPhone user for a long time. Um, We have Apple everything in our house, just so you know. But I had the Generation 1 iPhone. Anybody else? Generation 1 represent? No? Only one? Yeah, come on. I'm oddly proud of that fact. 
But it's embarrassing because I had no idea that my iPhone could do this thing that he showed me. So basically, when you type out a text message and you misspell a word, which is all the time for me, um, you normally backspace, like delete everything, retype it, fix it, whatever. Uh, so you can hold your space bar down and like scroll over, fix it, scroll back. I had no idea, you guys. <laughs> and so <laughs> like I even have it on the screen just in case somebody like me is in this room, just so you can see. Yeah, you hold down your space bar, just scroll over, fix it, scroll back. <laughs> you guys, it, it changed my world. It's been there this whole time. It took me years to find it because I never bothered to look for it. Some of you have been staring at that BlackBerry trying to make it work when there has been an iPhone 11 Plus sitting next to you this entire time. Come on. Pray about it, but you also got to look for it. Waiting is working. When we're patient and persistent, waiting works. Waiting isn't just sitting on your hands, waiting until something happens. It's working. It's getting into the field. It's trying. If your waiting isn't working, it's because you haven't really been waiting. You've been stalling. Like I mentioned, there's a system that God has put in place for us when we're waiting. I want to go back to the subject of praying for what we're waiting on. In the verse in Philippians, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, we what? Pray. Maybe some of you, this would be a completely new way of moving forward in your life. Like you're just used to getting things done, busting down doors, making it happen. I'm going to achieve my goals. And maybe you think if you start praying about it, that you're no longer moving forward in your goals. Let me tell you, praying is moving forward. It's keeping God at the front of it all exactly where he should be. So what do we pray for? I think, number one, we need to pray for opportunity. See, God answers prayer in opportunity. If you pray for patience, do you think that God is just going to hand you a bucket of patience? You're going to wake up one day and be like, I'm so patient with everybody now. It's amazing. Or is he going to give you the opportunity to be patient and practice patience? And if you're looking for a Christ-like spouse, do you think that God's just going to put them right on your doorstep? Or is God going to give you the opportunity to meet that person in the right place? Just a side note, maybe the right place isn't at the nightclub. If you're praying for a promotion at work, do you think that God is going to just give you that promotion? Or is he going to give you opportunities to show your boss that you deserve that promotion? Have patience in the prayer and persistence in the opportunity. Number two, I think we need to pray for favor. If you want more money, you need favor from the person that's giving you your income. If you need more connections, you need favor from those who are connected. Pray to God that he puts favor in your life because when you have favor, you don't have to force it. Everything's going to flow. Listen to me. When you have favor, you don't have to market yourself. You've been marked by God. Pray for opportunities, but pray for favor. We also need to petition. I want to go back to that verse in Habakkuk 2.2. And it says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. Look closely at that last line. It says, the vision awaits its appointed time. We have the waiting in there. It awaits. And we have the time it's going to be accomplished, the appointed time. But what's right before it? What comes first? Vision. Some of us are waiting, but we're not even sure what we're waiting for. What's the vision 
that the Holy Spirit has put on your heart. If we're going to be persistent, we need to petition for our vision. Just as God pursues us, we need to pursue our hopes and our dreams. And we can't do that if we don't have a vision for what those hopes and dreams are. We have to see it before we can receive it. If you're looking for a godly woman, but you don't know what that actually looks like, you need to read up, man. Read up in your Bible and find out what a godly woman looks like. Maybe just go back to the podcast last last week because that's what we just talked about. We need to have healthy chats with strong believers who can give us wisdom and insight into what that vision should be. If the only voices in your life are social media, Netflix, and the bartender, you need a different social, uh, different circle of influence. A group of people who are going to petition and pray with you and prune you so that your vision isn't outside of what God has for you. And they're overall going to help you to become a better human being. Many times, a God vision is going to be birthed out of brokenness. You know, that song that we just sang, it says, I find the joy in every battle. God's always with us, even in our brokenness. And a lot of times that that brokenness is going to birth something brand new. How many times have we found a life-changing vision out of something unexpected and heartbreaking? Maybe you even ended up at church because of it. God uses our brokenness to come into alignment for what he has in our lives. So just two days ago, my aunt went into the hospital have amputation on her leg because she's diabetic and had gotten out of control. It was absolutely heartbreaking for my family, for her. We were just heartbreaking for this loss of hers. And through this brokenness, through this heartache, God has birthed something in me, in my family. We have a lot of diabetics in our family. For health and awareness, for holding my aunt accountable to make sure that she's healthy moving forward, to hold her own selves accountable, there's a new vision for health and awareness. Out of that brokenness, God can do something beautiful. While pruning might be painful, it's always fruitful. We need to petition for our vision and also for our preparation. Or be persistent in our preparation, basically. God has a part to play and you have a part to play. And if we expect God to do it all and just hand it to us on a silver platter, we have it all wrong. There's preparation involved for what he has for you. See, when Daniel and I first came to Canada for the very first time in 2014, we were just here on our 10-year anniversary trip. But God planted a vision in our hearts that scared us to death. But it was two and a half years later that we actually fulfilled that vision and launched a life-giving church here in Canada. Just because you have a vision, it doesn't mean that it's going to come to fruition tomorrow. See, we spent a whole year while we lived in Florida raising support so that we could actually move here and start a church well. And then once we moved here, we spent a whole year learning the city, learning exactly what it means to to be Canadian because we're Floridian, right? We wanted to start a Canadian church, not an American church. Learning the city, visiting churches every, like two services every single Sunday. Learning what what does a life-giving church look like? God pruned us in that season. Learning what kind of pastors do we want to be? But you know, the first six months after we got that vision, before we were raising support, before we moved to this city, the first six months, we did nothing but pray hard. We were praying for God to be involved in everything. We were praying for opportunity. We were praying for favor. 
praying that God would open up wallets so that we could move here and we could start this church well. Praying for opportunity to be able to speak in front of congregations and so that we could talk to pastors and, and establish partnerships like the one that Daniel's speaking at right now. So that we could st- sustain life here in a life-giving church. We're praying for opportunity to meet people once we moved here so that we could build our launch team, so we could have a team because it can't just be me and Daniel launching a church. It takes an army. And so we're praying for opportunity in every single situation. For the first six months, that's all we did. The bigger the responsibility, the more preparation required. You need to petition for your vision and for your preparation. I want to go back to that verse in Habakkuk. Halfway through it says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Find your vision. Pray for it. Believe that God has an appointed time and wait for it. Know that you're not the only one in this room that's waiting for something. So we can get lost in these feelings of FOMO, like we need everything that's around us. When do we start thinking that we need it just because it's in front of us? Like if Susie has it, I deserve it. I'm going to go get it. There's something to be said about being content in the exact situation that you're in. It's not that you can't have hopes and dreams, but if you only have those because you see somebody else has them, it's not hopes and dreams. That's envy and greed. In waiting, we need to check ourselves and make sure what we're waiting on is not being born out of something unhealthy. We need to check ourselves and make sure what we're waiting on is going to glorify God. We need to check ourselves and make sure what we're waiting on is going to bring us closer to God. See, the last thing we need in our life is a plan that's going to take us down a dark hole further away from being more Christ-like because that's the goal. Waiting is working. And when we're patient and persistent, waiting works. There's story after story after story in the Bible of people who waited. I think there's more waiting in the Bible than actually achieving. And that says something, that maybe the waiting is the achieving. See, Moses waited 40 years in the desert. Joseph, 13 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. David was a shepherd year after year before he ever became a king. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and he patiently waited for the right opportunity to ask his king to help his people. Noah waited for the rain. Daniel waited all night in a den full of lions. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for their promised son Isaac after waiting a lifetime for the promise in the first place. Jesus waited 30 years to start his ministry. If it seems slow, wait for it. Daniel and I got married really young. I was barely 21, and he was 23 or 24, and this is a picture of us dating. We've been married now for 15 and a half years. And although we didn't have to wait very long to find each other, we know what it means to wait. See, we have been, and we're still waiting, through a nine-year-long infertility journey. And there's lots of different emotions that get wrapped up in that, along with its highs and lows and treatment after treatment. And we've watched students who've grown up as teenagers in our ministry get married and have children of their own. Like, honestly, you guys, it's like we became grandparents before we ever became parents. You know, and I was talking about something being birthed out of brokenness. So that in 2014, that month that we came to visit Canada for the first time, the very next month, 
we went back to Florida and we had already planned an infertility treatment. We'd invested a lot of money into it. And um, I remember walking into that room and we had known this vision that God had put on our heart from just being in Canada once. And it was scary. Like it was, there was so much unknown. And so I just began praying. And there was this one-on-one conversation with God. And I was like, God, if you really want us to move to something so unknown where we don't know anybody, we don't have a friend in Canada. I don't know how to launch a church. I've never done it before. I think what you're asking is really scary. And I'm not really sure that, that we're the right people. But if you think we're the right people, I know that this treatment can't work. Because if it does, I know myself, I won't go. And that was a real prayer, you guys. It wasn't me saying, God, if you give me this, I'll go do that. It was quite the opposite. It was me saying, don't give me it, because if you do, I know I won't do it. And it was through that brokenness, because obviously that treatment didn't work. And of course, we were, we were heartbroken. But after that, there was such a sense of peace, more than I've ever experienced in my life that came over me. A peace of knowing exactly where I am and what I'm supposed to be doing. And he took that brokenness and shifted my alignment, shifted my vision. It gave me joy and ambition and determination. It taught me things that I never knew were possible. And it started a life-giving church here in Canada just because I was willing to say yes. Because I could have been stubborn and said, I'm going to just keep going. I'm going to say no to that, and I'm going to say yes to me, and I'm going to say yes to my hopes and dreams. And it's not that we've traded in those hopes and dreams. I haven't given them up. I truly believe that someday God is going to give us our miracle baby. But God birthed out of our brokenness, out of our heartache, something beautiful, a life-giving church that we were able to start from the ground up. And now I look around, and I'm just in awe to see how many people's lives have been changed. And that's because I was willing to lay it down and let it go and trust God that in his timing, in his appointed time, it will work. So we're still in our season of waiting. And there's advice that I would give to those that are in their season of waiting. And also advice I would give to those that are family members and loved ones. Listen, what you're waiting for does not define you. Sometimes it can feel like you have this big red sign on your forehead because it's all your friends and family can think about when they see you. It's all they, they want to talk about, and you really don't want to talk about it because it's kind of hurtful, but it's all they really want to talk about. And, and sometimes it can get a little awkward, right? Like, oh, you're still single? Well, I, I know this guy that just started working with me. I don't know him that well, but I could set you up. He's single too. Or, oh, you're still trying to have a baby? Like, I just saw online, there's like this tea, and and maybe you could drink it. (laughs) Some of the weirdest stuff comes out of people's mouths because it's so awkward, and I know that it's awkward for them in the moment. But listen, my identity is not in my infertility. Your singleness is not your identity. Your illness is not your identity. Your success at your job is not your identity. Your spouse is not your identity. Your children is not your identity. Your identity is only found in Jesus Christ. And if you try to find your identity in anything else, you're going to be left feeling empty and hopeless and frustrated. Jesus offers so much more than any of those things that we think we are missing can give. Waiting is working. And when we're patient and persistent, waiting works. 
And if you're sitting here thinking, I don't really know Jesus, and I don't know how I can find my identity in Jesus, let me tell you, just like you've been waiting on something, somebody has been waiting for you. The fact that you're here today is proof of it. God has been patient, but continually persistent in your life by intervening and placing strategic people just to get your attention. He wants a relationship with you. He's not gonna force it, it's totally your choice. But that friend that invited you here today, maybe that near-death experience, that Facebook ad, that event or that conference you went to, whatever brought you here today, and whatever continually brings faith to the front of your mind is his persistence in your life. I'm gonna ask everybody, we're just gonna bow our heads for a moment of reverence to the God who's been patiently waiting on us. And we're gonna close our eyes for just a moment, recognizing he wants a relationship with you. And if you've never started a relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna say a prayer in a minute. And I'm gonna ask everybody in the room just to say it out loud with me so that no one's singled out, no one feels awkward. But if you've never started a relationship with Jesus and today you're realizing that's what I need, I need to find my identity in Christ. I'm gonna ask when we say this prayer out loud that you make it real, you make it true. So everybody say it out loud with me. Thank you, God, that you know me and that you waited on me and that you love me and that you extend your grace to me. Today I turn from my own ways and I follow you. Amen. Kyle is gonna come up here and he's gonna give some next steps. But man, if that was the first time that you've ever said that, know this, you are not alone. Just last week, seven adults and three children gave their hearts to Jesus for the first time. So if that's you today, you're not alone. Just let us know. You can write it in the card that's sitting next to you. I'm not trying to steal your, your job here, but it's what I normally do. But um, man, you're not alone. As a church, we're supposed to be walking in this together. We're holding each other up. We're holding each other accountable. We're pruning each other. We're making sure that that vision is in alignment for exactly what God has for us. That is why we're in church. It's not just so we can hear music. It's not just so we can have a good time. It's so that we can be a part of this community that's pruning us and making us better. Waiting is working. And when you're patient and persistent, waiting works. Thank you.